These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Again, everyone, I'm Bryce Duskit, and thank you so much for joining us today on Market Journal. We've got a lot to get to on this week's show, including getting rid of woody encroachment using prescribed burns. The holiday's near, and we're going to take you out to a local Christmas tree farm. Plus, Jeff Peterson is going to stop by to share his thoughts on what matters right now when it comes to the grain markets. That's a look at what we've got coming up on this show. But first, we have some University of Nebraska-Lincoln events and Farm Service Agency updates to share with you. For more details on those developments, we're turning things over now to Market Journal's Bill Dodd. Bill? Thanks, Bryce. First up, last week, the U.S. Department of Agriculture began mailing ballots for the Farm Service Agency County and Urban County Committee elections to all eligible agricultural producers and private landowners across the country. These elections are taking place in certain local administrative areas for these committee members who make important decisions about how federal farm programs are administered locally. Producers must participate or cooperate in an FSA program to be eligible to vote in the county committee election. Furthermore, producers who are not of legal voting age, but supervise and conduct farming operations for an entire farm, are eligible to vote in these elections as well. FSA Administrator Zach Ducheneau has relayed this public message to the media to help underscore the importance of these elections. Now through December 4th, farmers and ranchers can cast their votes for those who will serve on their local FSA committee in their respective local administrative area. County committees are unique to the FSA and serve as a direct link between the agricultural communities across the country and the USDA. Ballots for the 2023 elections will be mailed to eligible voters beginning November 6th. If you did not receive your ballot by mail, you can request one from your local USDA service center and those ballots must be returned or postmarked no later than December 4th. Don't delay and vote today. Next up, you've heard us discuss this event before, and if you missed your chance last time, you're in luck. The University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Center for Agricultural Profitability will be holding an educational opportunity for those who may be in line to inherit a farm. The program titled, So You've Inherited a Farm, Now What? will cover Nebraska land industry topics for farm and ranches. Those include evaluating current trends in land values and cash rents, strategies for successful land transitions, legal considerations, in managing communications and expectations among family members. Both uh, Jim Jansen and I uh, both receive calls uh, almost monthly from people that just inherited a farm um, and uh, now trying to figure out how to manage it. I would say this, uh, 
Uh, about, if you look at the Nebraska Community Foundation report, about half of the uh, farm ground in Nebraska, in some of the rural counties, is going to exchange hands in the next 10 years. So this is, this is clearly going to be a topic that's going to come up again in the future. So we, we hear questions like, uh, how do I manage it? Am I getting a fair rent? Am I be treating equitably or fairly with my rent? Is the landlord doing, excuse me, is the tenant doing the right thing with my farm? Uh, those kinds of things. And so we're going to talk about whether maybe you should even sell, maybe you should keep or sell, sell the farm. In some cases, it might be better to sell. We're going to talk about managing the farm in terms of the lease provisions, the legal considerations for either buying or selling or managing the farm, uh, the communications that should be happening between landlord and tenant if you're keeping the farm, and what the expectations can be among family members if you decide you're going to keep the farm and have a family member farm it for you. Um, and so and in, and in creating and adjusting estate plans to reflect the fact that you now own farm ground is an important consideration to make also. So those are the top, some of the topics we'll be covering during this meeting. These events will be free of charge and lunch will be provided. However, pre-registration is required. Your next opportunity to participate in one of these events will come at the end of this month. On November 28th, there will be a session available at Nebraska Extension in Saunders County, located at 1071 County Road G in Ithaca, Nebraska. Registration for this event must be completed by November 27th. And on November 29th, the program will be available at Midwest Bank in Norfolk, Nebraska, and again on November 30th at Cornerstone Bank in York, Nebraska. Now this program will be available in several different locations around Nebraska through February of 2024. To see times and locations near you, please follow the link at the bottom of your screen and we'll be sure to add that along with this story on the Market Journal website. Bryce, back to you. All right, thanks for the updates, Bill. We appreciate that. Up next, it's not too early to begin thinking about spring coming into the winter months. Kind of have to do that from time to time. Spring is the time when prescribed burning of pastures and CRP land tends to occur. We're able to catch up with Extension Educator Jerry Valeski at this year's Husker Harvest Days to get some of his advice when it comes to planning and executing prescribed burning on your property. Market Journal's Mike Straub has this story. A collaborative adaptive management program has put together an advisory committee helping with different decisions regarding prescribed burns. The primary objective to most prescribed burns in Nebraska is to control eastern red cedar trees. For the research at the Barter Brothers Ranch, it began a, uh, a year ago, and it's called a collaborative adaptive management program. And with that type of project, we have an advisory committee that is going to help or is helping us with the different decisions related to that research and one of the things or issues that was brought up was the cedar trees in that area and of course we knew or know that a prescribed fire is a good way to control those cedar trees and so we did put that as part of the project where we do each spring a prescribed burn in, in a different pasture with that objective of controlling cedar trees but then we are also still grazing that same pasture that was burned that, that year and collecting a, a variety of, of data related to the production that we see, the changes in species composition, the livestock performance. Uh, we have yearling cattle that are grazing these pastures. Prescribed burns can improve grass stands, reduce annual grassy broadleaf weeds, and improve forage quality. Grazing a recently burned pasture is beneficial to the daily gain of cattle. Uh, last year, for example, the, the cattle that were grazing the pastures that had been uh, burned, prescribed burning, their uh, overall daily gain was higher than a control group that grazed pastures that were not prescribed burned. And 
really the the reasoning behind that is that when a, when a prescribed burn is conducted, the grass that comes back is uh, it's uh, generally a little bit higher in quality, and it more in particularly you're not dealing with the uh, older previous year's growth or residue that's out there. So it's a it's a win-win or a benefit in that sense too, not only from the the cattle gain uh, side of things, but as well as uh, the control of the eastern red cedar trees. Eastern red cedar trees are quick to encroach on our pastures and grasslands. Getting a head start and being proactive is the best method for controlling these invasive trees. So with the cedar trees, the eastern red cedar, um, you know, a, a common thing that we see throughout, especially central and west, eastern Nebraska, is, is how quickly they're encroaching and taking over our pasture lands. And um, ideally, uh, a producer or landowner, he's going to be proactive and, and try to take care of that problem early before those trees get too big, too tall, and too many of them. And so that's one of the other things we try to emphasize uh, when it comes to that eastern red cedar tree control is to, to be uh, early and proactive and don't wait too long before you start uh, to try to do some control. Safe and controlled prescribed burns take preparation, planning, and understanding of how fire reacts in certain weather conditions. Many times, the preparation will begin a year in advance. When we're doing, uh, when people do do a prescribed burn, one of the things that comes into play is that it does take a lot of planning. You want to make sure that you've done some prep work ahead of time, and that might include some uh, mowing around the perimeter of the pasture that you're going to burn. Um, the weather conditions have to be uh, within a prescription to do uh, to safely conduct that prescribed burn. So, with with the prescription, what we're looking for is the white, the correct uh, wind direction for the burn plan that was put together. Uh, the wind speed, of course, as you would expect, is very important. Um, relative humidity. Um, there's certain levels or thresholds where, if the relative humidity starts dropping too low. Um, you're going to become out of prescription and it could be dangerous. So if you uh, stay within the prescription that's laid out for a safe prescribed burn, things should, should go well. Nebraska Extension, as well as other entities across the state, give several resources to reach out to if you're interested in conducting a prescribed burn on your land. There's a number of uh, not only Extension, but a number of different agencies, both uh, uh, agencies like the Natural Resources Conservation Service, but there's also some, uh, we call them uh, NGOs. Uh, these are organizations like uh, Pheasants Forever, Sand Hills Task Force. Uh, a lot of the natural resource districts are also um, providing some support and uh, guidance when it comes to doing a prescribed burn on a landowner's place. If you're having an issue with invasive eastern red cedar trees or want to improve forage for grazing, a prescribed burn might be beneficial to your area. Contact the many resources available by the Collaborative Adopted Management Program for information. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Mike Straub. Thanks, Mike. If you're looking for more information on prescribed burns, you can find that over at cropwatch.unl.edu. Well, let's pivot now, discuss the latest in the grain markets. Joining us earlier this week to share his thoughts was Jeff Peterson. He is the president of Heartland Farm Partners. We'll begin discussing the position of the funds. 
Let's dive into the markets, and in particular, I want to begin this week's conversation talking about the funds. You know, the fund positions is something that a lot of people will know, but I'm curious, where do the funds sit today when it comes to corn and soybean markets, and what might that tell us about the prices? Yeah, no, the fund position is very important to monitor. That comes out every Friday afternoon, and that tells us basically where the fund position is of as of that previous Tuesday. And we look back to the, our, our latest results. We've got the funds there. They're long on the soybean side. Uh, they're short on the corn side and actually short on the wheat side also. And as we dig deeper into that, what that's really telling us is that we've ultimately, they think the beans are continue to work their way higher. They are short on the corn side, which that's been getting a little bit of pressure on that corn market. And they've been continuing to stay short on that wheat side. And what we need to see in order to basically turn the corn and the wheat side here, we just got to get some additional positive items in here that'll kind of bump the demand side and kind of get them start buying back. If they start buying back, that can be really good on corn and wheat because they've got a lot of shorts they can buy back against Bryce. Well, let's talk about some of the factors that are influencing the commodity trade today. What are the most important things you're keeping an eye on day to day? Yeah, right now it's that transition period. You know, we're coming off of looking at the U.S. supply, but then what we're flipping right back over and looking at South American supply and what's going on in South America weather. In addition, the, the Israel-Hamas war, and in particular, what impact that's going to have on crude oil prices if other countries get involved or if there's any type of activity as we look around that Strait of Hormuz. Um, in addition, what we're watching is that what's going on with the war between Russia and Ukraine? And what impact is that gonna have on two things with Ukraine, their ability as we think about their spring planning, what's a mix of crops gonna be, but also on the grain that they have in supply. How are they gonna be able to go ahead and get that shipped out? And are they gonna be able to move that out of the Black Sea or are they gonna have to rely on the rail lines going further west? And then um, at the same time in there, we have to keep a very close eye on what's our demand looking like here in the U.S. and not only the sales side, but also the shipment side, Bryce. I'll ask you about demand coming up here in a second, but let's go back. You bring up South American weather. Let's go back to the very basics of, of what's happening down there. Because I think if you hear the chatter, it's, you know, we're paying attention down there, but where are they at in relation to their growing season? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And if you go into this time of year, so let's just take Mato Grosso, which is a major, you know, soybean and corn producing area. But, you know, currently right now within that state, they're about 91% planted. But overall, though, if we look at Brazil overall, about 61.2% planted um, over on the soybean side. But they are about 76% planted on the corn side. Now, as we dig a little deeper in that, weather's causing them some challenges, of course. What you've got is the conditions are too dry in the central and northern parts, but too wet in the kind of the southeast. So there's, it's hard to find a perfect spot in there. And the big thing that everybody's watching is we're having a lot warmer temperatures than normal. And some would also say that when we take the warmth and also the precip together, this could be one of the driest starts they've had going back 40 years. How concerned are you about that situation? Yeah, I'm just, we're monitoring at this point because our biggest concern, there's really two sides to it. One, it can have an impact on what the yields could be on the soybean side, but the bigger impact longer term could ultimately end up being what's that gonna mean for that safrina corn crop, that corn crop that will get planted after these beans that they're kinda waiting to plant or getting planted in here get harvested. So I think it's bringing a little bit of premium into the market yet, but what we know is that 
when that premium gets brought in, if the weather changes down there and when it does, we'll quickly go ahead and take some of that premium back out of the market's price. Okay, on the demand front here in the United States, we began the week with some export sales. Always good to see that, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. And there's been a lot of question marks on that. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that. You know, currently on the corn shipment side, corn shipments have actually been rather positive. They're up about 23.1% compared to a year ago at this time. Now, USDA believes we're going to be up about 24.9%. And the positive note there on the sales side, it's up about 31%. And, and that's the bright notes. As we come over to the soybean side, soybeans overall, as we look at the, the shipments, are not so bad, down about 5.6%. Now, USDA thinks we're going to be down about 11.9% overall. But the rest of the story, so to speak, comes in on the sales side, because currently sales on, on soybeans right now are down about 26%. Mostly China, is that where we're lagging behind the soybean front? Yeah, it really is. I mean, that'd be the area that we'd be lagging behind. Now, we do think as we go forward, though, we're, we're seeing some additional sales picking up. And, and if we dig into that a little bit deeper, really what we see is going on there is the fact that uh, South America, in particular Brazil, had a very big soybean crop, and that held on right into our harvest this year. The other part that hurt us is the fact that the Mississippi River was low, and that caused us to put less grain in the bar, just higher freight rates. So we're offering out bushels uh, for sale at a higher price than what we'd normally see for this time of year in, in regard to the basis side. So we weren't able to compete as well with South America, and they were able to get a few more sales on than what they normally would. You bring up the term basis based on everything going on right now as you lay this this picture out for the for the row crops in particular. How important is basis going to be domestically to see some grain being moved around? And I think that's the big thing. So let's just kind of break it down by commodity and think about delivery right now and then also think about what it can be as we move out of into the first part of the year. But big challenge we have right now, honestly, Bryce, is that the farmers, he's busy in the field. He really isn't thinking about uh, moving anything out of the bins, and especially on the corn side, the challenging part is is that we've got prices when we look at where the futures is at and we put the basis back against that or at or below break-even levels. So in order to get any bushels to move, a couple things have to happen. We either got to have a really good bump in the basis or we got to see that futures price come up, and I think we're going to see uh, the basis or get an improve in here. Now, the thing I would say, though, is that if you've got some bushels to maybe core some bends here yet before the end of the year, I'd say go ahead and work on getting some of those basis levels set. Over on the soybean side, there's some good enough demand out there. Crush demand is very good. I think we can physically have some stronger basis levels for the November delivery and also post-harvest after that, Bryce. Good conversation there with Jeff. We appreciate him joining us on the show this week. Well, cattle mineral can be a subject of debate for cattle producers. Meeting the requirements for cows in particular without breaking the bank can be a challenge. But Extension Beef System Specialists are expert when it comes to developing a mineral plan. You can learn some of their tips for fine-tuning your cattle mineral program in the November issue of the Nebraska Farmer. Let's check in on weather now with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market General Chief Meteorologist Eric Hunt. Eric, things have been pretty mild this week, quite enjoyable. Lots of field work getting done across the countryside, but how are things shaping up as we turn to the week ahead? Well, thanks, Bryce. We have indeed had a very mild week, almost record-setting in some cases. Uh, a bit breezy at times, but it's been a good week to get a lot of field work done. What I'm paying attention to, though, is the storm system is moving into the central U.S. early next week. Now, last week it looked like this might be moving in late this week, but now it looks like it's more Sunday. Uh, but in terms of uncertainty, there's a couple of things that are still a bit in question. One is the strength of this, uh, which would lead to the amounts of precipitation. Uh, 
Uh, the timing is still a little um, up in the air. It looks more like it's going to start uh, more into Sunday early and you'll be out of here by Monday. Uh, the type of precipitation also is maybe a little bit in question, so we might actually see a little bit of snow in western Nebraska if some of the recent European model solutions verify. Uh, but again, in terms of the amounts, the amounts are going to be heaviest to our south. Uh, the latest WCPC forecast is a little bit more bullish on precipitation in the southern part of the state. Uh, and I would say the runs have been most consistent on south central Nebraska and parts of southeastern Nebraska receiving the most precipitation. Uh, but again, this any moisture we can get right now will be welcome because it's been very, very dry for a good portion of the state in the last three or four weeks. As we move to a later portion, actually, good news is it looks like we should have pretty good conditions for travel. Uh, certainly Tuesday through Friday. As we move late in the week, though, it looks like we have a strong cold front moving through uh, the north central part of the U.S. That should bring temperatures down, not to anything close to record levels, but certainly a lot colder than we probably have been. Uh, so you might want to break out the winter coats as we move into later next week or certainly the week after Thanksgiving. Uh, this is verified by the CPC's uh, 8 to 14 day outlook for the week uh, right after Thanksgiving. Uh, so again, a strong probability of below average temperatures for most eastern two-thirds of the country with warmer conditions expected in the western U.S. Uh, in terms of the 8 to 14 day outlook, again, looks like we should be fairly dry, but I am possibly kind of watching the storm system moving into the panhandles and move into the uh, latter portions of the end of next week or early the week uh, right after Thanksgiving. Uh, this might be in the form of snow in the panhandle, so just maybe pay attention to the forecast as you get to later portions of next week. Uh, so in terms of seven-day precipitation total, so this is as of Tuesday morning. Uh, again, it's been very dry across the state this month. Uh, just very spotty precipitation across portions of central and southeastern Nebraska in the last week. And the last 30 days, with the exception of parts of northeastern and north-central Nebraska, we've been uh, generally below average for precipitation, and we've been well below average across most of the southeastern quadrant of the state. Uh, we were running deficits an inch and a half to two inches or plus in the last month. Again, we are not... Uh, you know, close to our wettest time of the year. So a two-inch deficit in 30 days this time of year is relatively substantial. Uh, some places in southeastern Nebraska have still not seen measurable rainfall since mid to late October. Uh, this is being reflected in soil moisture. So again, soil moisture percentiles are the lowest in the southeastern portion of the state and across portions of southwestern Nebraska where we've been quite dry since late August. Uh, generally, conditions are much better north of Platte. Uh, we have seen some very nice recharge from um, some of the rains that we did get earlier this fall. Uh, so we, are, in general, are in much better shape than we have been uh, in the recent uh, years at this time. Uh, not showing the drop monitor because I'm filming this on Wednesday morning, so the latest, latest drop monitor update won't be out till Thursday morning. Uh, but don't expect too much change from last week. Thanks. Back to you, Bryce. All right, thanks for the update, Eric. We appreciate it. As we do look ahead to next week, it's going to be a big one for real Christmas tree growers across the country. There is nothing quite like having a real Christmas tree in your living room. One farm near Seward would like to help you make that sentiment a reality. Today we look back to what might have been one of the coldest outdoor shoots I was ever part of as we visit our story last year, Christmas trees at Windmill Pines. Stan, thanks for letting us come out here to the farm. This is awesome. You're very welcome. Glad to have you here. Tell us a little bit about the history of the farm near Seward. Well, my father-in-law started it back in uh, 1968. We were privileged to help him plant the first trees on Easter Sunday afternoon. And um, then um, he ran the farm pretty much by himself, hired a little bit of, of uh, labor. We were gone thereafter for 14 years and then came back in 1982 and uh, since then we we have um, continually taken on more and more responsibilities until his passing and uh, now now we are the owners of the place 
So um, anyway, um, we have uh, customers that, that, that love our trees, and uh, so we've been blessed uh, to have a, another really busy season this year. That's what I wanted to ask you about. You opened up on Black Friday. How did the first weekend of sales go? Uh, it, it was fantastic. Uh, the, the first day we had, had uh, maybe 150 people at the gate ready, ready to charge in. <laughs> and so it, it's, uh, it's crazy the, the first morning. Then after that, it, it uh, steadies out. Um, and uh, so we had really nice steady business thereafter. And uh, yeah, we're uh, pretty much depleted on the, on the cane and fir right behind us. Uh, we have uh, prairie now, uh, it was forest on Friday morning at nine o'clock. <laughs> Let me ask you this, there's a lot of options for, for people to, to buy when it comes to Christmas trees now, not all of them real Christmas trees. Why do your customers keep returning to, to buy one of these trees? A lot of it is tradition. Uh, it's a family thing. That's what they've, they've uh, done with, uh, we have uh, third and fourth generation people coming, coming out now. This is what we've, we've done, uh, it, what they tell us. We love it here. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of the, kind of the beginning of their uh, Christmas celebration. Well, over the past, uh, well, growing season, when it comes to corn soybeans, we've been talking a lot about the drought and how that's impacted producers. I'm sure it's been impacting you guys here at uh, Christmas Tree Farms as well. Uh, very definitely. Uh, last winter was, was a, a really uh, challenging time for us. We had no snow cover. Uh, we went into the winter with, uh, with uh, pretty dry ground. I didn't have much of my uh, drip system in yet. And uh, so um, anyway, I had pretty massive uh, winter kill, some of which I'll have to salvage, but most of them uh, will just have to be trashed. I've done quite a bit of that already. As we wrap up, let me ask you this. What do you enjoy about this industry and this business? Well, uh, sales is, is always a great time uh, just because of the delight of our customers and the positive uh, feedback we get from them. And But uh, I'm a person that uh, can't sit around uh, at home. I like to read, but, but not that much. I played golf poorly, don't want to do that either. <laughs> Uh, so it's it's a nice place for me to uh, to work. I enjoy the physical activity. Um, I'm an artist also. I know how to shape trees to uh, what customers like. Uh, so uh, there are times when it's when it's hot and humid and swatting mosquitoes that it's not so great. But most of the time, I I, I really enjoy being out here. If you'd like to learn more about Windmill Pines, that operation again near Seward, you can find that online by visiting windmillpines.com. That link for the website is at the bottom of your screen now. Well, that is going to do it for this week's edition of Market Journal. As always, if you missed a story, you can catch up with us anytime by following us on our YouTube channel, and you can also watch our show at watchacrestv.com. Coming up next week, we'll be joining you from this year's National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention that's taking place in Kansas City. Hope you'll join us then. But until then, I'm Bryce Duskit, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. 
You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.